0: thoughts and things right now just that are are on my mind and that are on my heart and um, uh, I think about camp that's coming up and our theme being the battle and and uh, this past this past week there's just been several things that have unfolded at least in the path that I'm I'm taking with ministry and people and circumstances that it really feels like it has been a, a war And so um, I just know that I need to be here today and um, I'm thankful for everyone else that's here today And I pray that you would move among us and that you would teach us and that you would guide us Um, your truth is the Is really the best thing that our eyes could ever behold and it truly is an anchor for our our soul and it gives us uh, great stability when Things are upturned in our life and um, and we do have an adversary that is wanting to come against all of us Individually, corporately as a church, um, as a youth ministry. And, uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that we're talking about the things that we're talking about today. Leading into camp, dealing with the circumstances this week, just for me personally. So I pray, Lord, that you would um, just have your way in me today. Um, and that you would help us just to be able to uh, follow you and be obedient. To really, from the bottom of our heart, truly seek to glorify you. And to magnify you in the moments that you give us in this world so we love you god and we thank you again thank you for our time we pray this in jesus name amen all right so um anyway um there there's there's just been some things within our church just be praying i know pastor john's going to talk about uh some stuff in the in the main service um and so you'll hear about it there but um everything i just prayed is just really i mean it, it is what it is um and, and we are in a battle. And sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget uh, what we're in day in and day out. Um, it's easy to kind of get stuck in our routines and, and to do the things that we do as as believers. And um, and it, it's it's the difference between those of you that have played sports or, or any sort of instrument or, you know, anything where you have practice. You know, practice is one thing. And practice can be intense. And practice can really be something that... Um, um, it's tiring, it's it exhausting, but it's totally different than playing the game. It's totally different than getting out there at the concert. It's, it's just completely different. Uh, when, things go, when things go live and you actually are, are making it count, everything that you had practiced counts in that moment. And, uh, and it's the same thing in your, in your spiritual walk. The difference is, I think, within our schedules when it comes to games and concerts and different things that we do, we know when that day is coming. When it comes to warfare, you really don't know when the day is going to be there. You need to always be prepared. Um, and, and I think what our flesh, this world, the enemy likes to do is to do things in such a way to make you think that you're okay when you're not. And then when you least expect it, he hits and he does things that uh, can really rock your world pretty, pretty fast. Um, and so this is just a, a teaching moment that I want you guys to really understand, because when I look at Job's life, we're going to talk about Job today. So go ahead and turn to Job chapter one when I think about Job's life and I think about when Satan speaks to to the Lord and what unfolds after that, I think about with Adam and Eve and how Eve did not necessarily expect it. Neither did Adam. Um, you know, Jesus knew everything. And so the last week or next week, we're going to talk about Matthew chapter four and when the devil tempted Jesus. Um, and so he kind of knew that was coming, but he still was in his flesh. And we're going to talk about that next week. But He knows the right place, the right time, the right way to attack each and every one of us. And so it's important for us to cover these things heading into camp. And it's important for us to pay attention because God really wants to teach us a lot of different things. So just as a quick review that we talked about last week, um, you you have the fall of Lucifer. He was not content with what God made him to be. Uh, He was the, the ruler over God's creation prior to Adam and Eve. And he wanted to be like the most high. He was not content with being number two. Because God really made him as the most powerful being outside of the Trinity. And he had the ability to rule and reign, and he was not content with that. And he said, you know what? I'm going to lay that aside, and I want, I, 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 me, my, I want to be like the Most High. And that's where sin originated, and this led into the battle for the throne. And that's the theme of the Bible. From beginning to end, everything that you see is the battle for the throne. The battle for your throne individually, and the kingdom of God reigning inside of your heart individually, and the battle for the kingdom of heaven. And that's the literal physical kingdom that God wants to establish on this planet and reign throughout the entire universe. And it's been all about that. Lucifer wants that. He does not want God to be established in your heart. He does not want God to be glorified in your heart. He does not want God to be glorified in this world. He does not want God's kingdom to succeed. And he's going to do everything that he can to stop that from happening. And one of the greatest tactics he has is the third one. Satan is the author of confusion. He's the author of confusion. And I want you to remember that because anytime in your life where there is anything confusing going on, um, there's something with the enemy of God at work. And so you really need to lean upon the Lord in order to understand what's going on. And I think even today talking about Job will really bring a lot of those things to light as well. And last week we talked about Satan's goal. Number one is to make you question, contradict, and change the Bible. If he can get you to not trust in the authority of the scriptures, if he can get you to not be in your Bible, to not trust what it says, to not have it be so a part of your life that if the Bible is not in you, if you don't spend your time in the word of God, that a part of you is missing. If he can get you to not think that way, then he will succeed. If he can remove God's authority and God's words out of your life, then the only thing you have left are your own thoughts, your own words, and the thoughts and words of other people. And it's always going to lead you astray. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. So it's not a coincidence that the first time Satan speaks, that's exactly what he's doing. And we talked about that last week with Adam and Eve. And if you missed that, you can go back on our podcast and you can, you can listen to that. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about questioning and doubting your relationship with God. Because this is, this is, this is the second goal of the devil. This, one thing is to question, contradict, and change the Bible. Remove the authority of the Bible from your life. But God also wants to get you to a point where you are questioning and doubting God... And you're questioning and doubting your relationship to God. And even for some people, questioning the existence of God. And does he really care? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance like that before. Um, It's a very difficult circumstance to be in. um, Because you can be in certain circumstances where things are extremely difficult. And you can feel like God has no idea what's going on. And he doesn't care. And he's not there. And he's not delivering. And I don't know if you've been there. I've been in places like that. Um. Now, for me, I have struggled with a little bit less than other folks have because uh, of just the way that I've seen God deliver in my own life. But even when I feel that way, I know that he's there. And And the one reason, frankly, that I know that he's there is because his word says so. And I have to make a conscious decision to trust God and his words over anything that I'm feeling. And that's very difficult for us to do. So in Job chapter one, I'm not even there yet. So in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, we see the second time that the devil speaks, um, and it's really, really good. And so I want to make sure that we cover this in in great detail. Um, And we're not going to have time to cover everything that I want to cover, frankly, uh, but I think this is going to be a a great way for you to view uh, just a perspective. Remember, the devil shows up many times in the Bible, but there's only three places where his audible words are recorded, and God recorded those three times on purpose. So this is the second, and God wants us to learn something from this. All right, so give me some readers. Job 1, 6 through 12, and then someone else read 2, 1 through 7. Okay, 1, you got chapter 2. All right, so Sam, go ahead and read 1, 6 through 12, and follow along as Sam reads. And then after that, we'll do 2, 1 through 7, and Carson can read that one. Now there was a
1: day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, Doth Job fear God for none? Hast hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the wind. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to that face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the
0: Lord. And of course, you guys have heard the story before. What happens after that? Yeah? Let's a little bit louder. Let's get some people to actually want to speak. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah, all his kids, dead. Like his greatest fear, they're dead. What else? All his yeah, all his livestock. And remember, his livestock, that's his income. The, the way to provide for his family, it's all gone. Everything. All of his money is just gone. So he can't pay for anything. He can't provide for anything. And if there's anything, you may not understand this now, but those of you, especially you fellows when you get older, God has put a desire inside of you as a dude To provide for your own to care for your people and when god takes that away you feel like less of a man so he feels like he's a failure as a father because his kids are all dead he feels a failure as a leader because now everything is taken away he has no reason and no way to even provide for his own people and then what else anybody else anything else what's that yeah all his workers so you have all these things unfold where he's attacked I mean, miserable. And this is what the devil does. And God says, okay, yep, everything that he has is in your hands, but just don't touch him. And that's the first attack. All right, Carson.
2: Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered that my servant <coughs> Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that eschew, or one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou moved me against him to destroy him without cause? And Satan said, er, and, and Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thy hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life.
0: Okay, and then what happened after that? Boils. Boils. So, his own personal health. What else? Go ahead. His wife tells him to curse God and die. Yeah, his own wife that he's joined his life unto says, Why don't you just curse God and die? So the one person that he should always be able to count on, his his spouse, is now saying, you know what, you should just turn your back on God. And then what else? There's one more thing. Yeah. His
1: friends come to try to comfort him, but they don't really
0: do a good job of comforting him. Yeah, yeah, they destroy him. That's really what they do. So the friends come in and say, well, Job, what did you do that was wrong? Because obviously God's hand is against you, <laughs> and now you must have done something wrong, and you just don't know about it. I mean, it's just... This is crazy, but this is exactly what the enemy of God does. He wants to do things in your life to cause you so much pain outwardly, so much pain inwardly, that you turn your back on God. This is exactly what he wants you to do. And in some way, shape, or form, it's going to unfold. If it hasn't yet, it's going to. And there's going to be things that unfold that are going to test your faith on whether or not you're going to stand up and do what's right and trust God above your feelings or you're going to buckle under the pressure. But this is what he does. And he's very good at it. And he knows exactly which buttons to push at the right time and in the right way to destroy you. And he loves it. He loves to destroy people. Job 41 talks about that. The other's pain is his pleasure. He loves that. It's disgusting. It's absolutely terrible. All right, so let's break this down a little bit. All right, so questioning and doubting your relationship with God. So the sons of God, Satan, Satan, the lord and the principle of authority so the first thing that we see in both chapter one and chapter two was that there was a day when the sons of god came to present themselves before the lord and satan came also among them and so here you have a, a scenario where the bible outlines this i don't have time to really get into it but i put the references there for you exodus 23 uh, 14 through 17 and also leviticus 23 that entire chapter um way back before the word of god was even written god established certain things to be in in order and he has this order that he's established where he wants the sons of god to be presented before him three times a year and you see this happen with the nation of israel within the levitical law there are three times a year that the males of israel are to present themselves before the lord and so whether this is accountability or or what's going on i have no idea if I were to take a guess, I would be that they're giving an account of themselves, but it's a submission of of them as God's creation, submitting to God and coming before him, and they had no choice in the matter. Because at this point in time, the sons of God, this is the celestial host that followed Satan in rebellion with the very first rebellion, back when Lucifer was in charge in Isaiah 14, where he had his throne before Adam and Eve, even even on the scene at all. And when iniquity was found in the heart of Satan, He had the sons of God that followed his lead. And so this rebellious crew, the sons of God, is the same rebellious crew in Genesis 6 that left their first estate and started procreating among women. And you can read about that and how it created a race of giants. And this is where a lot of the Greek and Roman mythology really comes from, like Hercules and Zeus and all that. All that comes are legitimate. I think it's been you know, magnified over time. But I think all those things legitimately come from these celestial beings coming down and procreating with women and creating these, this race of, of abomination, which is also why God ended up flooding the earth, because his way was corrupted before the earth. And Noah was found perfect in his generations, his lineage, his physical lineage. And so that's why Noah and his family were chosen to be redeemed out of the flood. So the entire earth, and this is what the devil does, he wants to try to get in there and destroy God's seed and destroy from the kingdom being established internally and physically. So it was a perfect plan from the devil. So these sons of God, they are still under the authority of God the Father, God Almighty. And there are three times a year where they have to present themselves before the Lord. And so we find one of those times here in Job chapter 1 and a second time in Job chapter 2. And for those of you that want to know about it, in Leviticus 23, these three times a year is uh, the Feast of the Passover or Unleavened Bread, it's the Feast of Pentecost, and it's the Feast of Trumpets. Those three feasts, when you study them out, are very significant when it comes to God. And when you really think about it, and this is kind of cool, this goes a little bit deeper, but the Feast of the Passover, that's when Christ died. The Feast of Pentecost is likely when we're going to be raptured. And the Feast of Trumpets is when Christ is coming back at his second coming. So it's really interesting on those are the three times a year where God says, I want you to present yourself before me. So I want you to understand that because there is nothing that the devil can do without God's authority. And he wants to be like the Most High. He doesn't want to have this over his head. So he's trying to do whatever he can to try to get that off his back. But that is what he does. And then take a look at verse 7 of chapter 1. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? He says the same thing in chapter two. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So it tells you where the devil's at and it tells you what he's doing. He's walking to and fro in the earth and he's also walking up and down in it, in it physically, in the earth. So that's interesting. And we could get into a whole other area of doctrinal stuff there too, but that's what he's doing. He's doing that. And uh, there's other places like in Psalm 104 that you can see some other stuff to cross reference that out. Uh, but this is what he does. And, and for me, I look at this from two different perspectives. Um, there's several verses that I want you to look at. You're already in, in Job, so take a look. Hold your spot here. Go to Job chapter 41. Job chapter 41. And then give me a couple readers. Ephesians 4.14, if you'd like to take that one. Alana, you can take that one. And see, I'm going to take 1 Peter 5.8. So Job 41, God shows up here and says, hey, present yourselves before me. They come and they present themselves. And uh, and then he begins to speak very, very softly to God. And he starts talking about Job and everything. And this is what's interesting. In Job 41, take a look at verse 3. God's speaking here to Job, and he's putting Job in his place. And he says in verse 3, will he make, talking about the devil, Satan, will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? This is exactly what he's doing to God. Now he knows that God's in charge, but the moment that he can usurp God's authority, he's not going to have any supplications towards the Lord. He's not going to speak softly to the Lord at all because he wants that place. But this is exactly what he's doing. So he's doing that. And then listen to Ephesians four fourteen. Okay, so what is causing people, according to that verse, to be tossed to and fro? By uh, the I think before that. Doesn't say it? Oh,
1: Window's
0: Yes, doctrine, false doctrine. So, false doctrine by cunning men that are very, very crafty. So the devil is going in, in the earth, throughout the earth, to and fro the earth, and he is causing false doctrine to stir people up. You know the reason why people don't want to believe in God? And they think, well, there's so many different religions that are out there. and There's so many different denominations. It's because of the devil. It totally is. He is purporting and, pur- and, and, and propagating false doctrine to get out there to cause confusion, to get people to not hear the truth of God's word. And it comes in the form of so many things. I mean, false science, When you get into evolution and atheism, um, you get into so many different things like that. He's going to try to use that. He's going to try to use religion and religious tradition. He's going to try to use people that will say they believe the Bible and will stand up behind pulpits and preach and and just give them one thing that's wrong and it will take them, it will just tailspin them off in a completely different direction. So that's what he does because of 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant,
1: because your adversary the devil has a roaring lion walketh about seeking you.
0: He's walking. He is constantly moving. The devil does not sit still. He is constantly moving and he is constantly looking for an opportunity to capitalize on removing anyone's ability to glorify God. And this is why you've got to be on guard. This is why I love that God landed us on the battle for camp. I feel like I'm, I'm actually speaking a camp message right now. It's one of those things where preparing, going into this, we are in a battle every single day, and the devil is trying to roam everywhere that he can, and he, and, and, and he is trying to take advantage of every person that he can, every church that he can, every opportunity to manipulate, to confuse, to control, to change the narrative, and so that way people are headlong going straight to hell thinking that they're pleasing God in the process because that's what he wants. He wants people to do that. And the only thing that's going to be able to keep you where you need to be is the word of God. That's it. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to be able to keep you there. The word of God is the only thing that's going to be able to keep you secure. So you have this whole principle of authority, and I like that. And it helps me to know that Satan can only go so far. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. All right, so the second thing here, letter B, God brings Job to Satan's attention. Back in Job. So God brings Job to Satan's attention. Have you considered? Of course he's considered. I mean, he's walking to and fro. He's trying to figure out how can I most capitalize? And Job was one of the most God-fearing men on the planet. And so, you know, the devil hasn't been successful thus far. And so that's where he approaches him. And he's like, yeah, but you know, God, you put this hedge around him. You've protected him. You've, You've done all this stuff. Yeah, but have you considered my servant Job? See, God knows Job's heart better than anybody else. And the devil's trying to get in there to turn it completely around. And he brings Job to to Satan's attention two times. Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. And frankly, man, what an honor. Like, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a scenario that you are walking with God and so in love with God that, that the devil's not been able to touch you so far. You've been tempted and you've had some successes and failures. But that between a conversation between the two most powerful beings in all of existence the almighty god and then the second in command or used to be lucifer and god's like hey have you considered that little weak human down there have you considered him i mean that's incredible so god's working something it's way beyond our understanding but that's what he does he brings job to satan's attention and then satan displays himself as the accuser of the brethren letter c and this is exactly what he does he likes to turn things around and make us feel guilty for things in order for, to get us away from walking with God. And this is what he does, and he is so good at it. Take a look at it in chapter 1, verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Does he fear him for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him? And about his house, and about all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. See, God, you know what? Job only walks with you, and he only spends time with you because of what he gets from your relationship. That's it. He only loves you because of how you love him. But the moment that he stops feeling your love and your care and your blessing, he's gonna turn his back on you. Unfortunately, this is a lot of Christians today they are only in Christianity and they only love God because of what God can bring into their life. Only for what God brings as a benefit. And that really reflects the selfishness of our heart. And that is absolutely wrong. The fact is, when you really boil it all down, if you have nothing, and like, let's just say, let's take it to the extreme. Let's just say that Jesus never died for you. Does God still deserve your worship and your loyalty? why yes and frankly when you think about it if you think that you deserve God to die for you there's something seriously wrong with you because when I think about me and I think about my life and I think about God taking that for me I'm like God you're nuts you're crazy like why would you do anything like that I don't understand um. and so even if God and this is hard to say and, and it's hard to believe too but even if God were to decide to never, never die for you would you, still, would you still worship him? would you still honor him? would you still live the way he wanted you to live? even if you knew at the end of your life that you were going to go to hell that's a very tough question to answer but it really reveals the state of your heart And God knows, and I don't think he holds that against us, but that's what we're talking about here because if you're not willing to at least consider that, then what kind of a relationship do you have with God? It's all one-sided. It has nothing to do with him and all about you, which is our Laodicean problem anyway. (coughs) So he accuses Job for that. And then take a look at chapter two because obviously Job passed that test and actually take a look at end of chapter one. We'll see what what happened with Job. It says uh, in verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So he knew, and he, had, he knew who God was, and he, he knew, you know what? I got to trust God. Yeah, this hurts, but God knows what's going on, and I trust him. So then in chapter 2, then he accuses him again. Verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put, but put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand but save his life. And so you think about the health issues that he went through, his own wife, his own friends turning their back on him. He literally had nothing, like nothing. I mean, you talk about substance being gone and all your safety and your your security being gone. But now, but now he's saying, you know what, God, he's only worshiping you. He only follows you because, because of the fact that you've made him healthy and that you've given him a wife and you've given him friends and you've taken care of him emotionally. You've taken care of him on the inside and the benefits that he gets from you because of that. And so then the devil takes all that away at God's direction. And then of course, the rest of the book of Job unfolds. So he is the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation 12, 10, is the exact same thing. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Every single day, the devil is accusing you in God's face. He is. And honestly, in my own life, I have every right to be accused. I, I, I know that. But what I love about it is that God knows me. And that he died for me. So there isn't an accusation that's going to stick. It doesn't matter whatever the devil brings up to God about me. Nothing will stick. It has nothing to do with me. It's incredible. But here's the other side of it, too. I don't want to give the devil any ammunition. I don't want to give him any... Reason to go before God to accuse. And so think about that, because you shouldn't do that either. All right, let's take a look at this next one. Letter D. God allows Satan to work within certain limits. Mentioned that already, but he only allows him to work within certain limits. Go back to Job 41. We already have verse 3, where he came and he spoke softly to God. Outwardly, anyway, will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? But take a look at the next several verses down to verse 7. We're going to read these and see how the devil actually behaves before the presence of God, knowing that he doesn't have that authority that God Almighty has. Verse 4, will he make a covenant with thee? Will thou take him for a servant forever? See, that's how God sees the devil. Even though the devil is who he is and he does what he does, God looks at the devil as his servant. Now, that may sound weird to you, but let me just tell you, there have been times in my life, and this is a biblical pattern that you'll see throughout the scriptures, there have been times in my life where Ed has clearly been the enemy of God in my own life, in the life of my family, in the life of even church stuff. And what God has done is that he's taken such a terrible circumstance and he's turned that circumstance completely around. And now God is honored and blessed in ways that he would not have been before. And this is what God does. He takes, the devil's intent is I want to steal glory away from God. I want to steal anyone being able to bless God. I want to, I want to steal that away. I want to be like the most high. So he works his plan. And God's like, yep, yeah, good. ahead. Go ahead. Yep, yeah, you can do it but everything that you do is actually going to honor me more that's how god looks at this now we don't see it from a humanistic perspective but i've seen it in my own life my greatest failures have been the reason that i can bless god the most and it's been all dependent upon one thing one thing my humility before god that's it that's it Because that circumstance, and I've seen it happen, that circumstance that I could use to walk away from God like many people do is the same circumstance that I use to draw closer to God. And that's what God desires. And so he takes these things that the devil does and he turns it completely around so he can receive more honor. Verse 5, wilt thou play with him as with a bird? That's how God looks at it. God plays with the devil as a bird. Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Do you realize that he's actually going to do that? He's actually going to bind the devil for a thousand years and put him in the bottomless pit and he can't leave for a thousand years and binds him for his maidens. And you think about it, the nation of Israel and the church. That's exactly what he's going to do. Verse six, shall the companions make a banquet of him? God actually does that in Revelation 20. Shall they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? That's exactly what God does, and he takes him out. So that's how God sees him. So from God's perspective, Satan is never a threat, never. Not even once, not even a smidgen. Satan is never a threat. And so he can only work within certain limits. And we can have great confidence in that. And it makes me think about this too. In Philippians two ten and 11, it says that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess things in earth, things in heaven, things under the earth, everything will. And that includes the devil. That includes him too. There's going to come a day where he's finally going to yield and say, you are the Lord. And he won't have a choice in the matter. So these three things that he allows Satan to do, and this is where I want you to think about this. So Job is tempted, your first blank here, physically. Job is tempted physically. God allows Satan to work, but he tempts Job physically or even outwardly. Physically, he tempts him. His children, his safety, his security, his substance is all taken away. Secondly, Job is tempted emotionally in chapter 2. So he's tempted emotionally or inwardly. His personal health, his wife, his friends. I mean, the devil took everything away from Job outwardly, and now he's taking everything away from him inwardly. He attacked him physically and he attacked him emotionally through and through and took everything away. Job has nothing now. And thirdly, Job is tempted spiritually. He's tempted spiritually or upwardly. And this is with his personal relationship with God. Because even Job has limits. I mean, he's still a human being, but he still has limits. Go over to Job chapter 23. Take a look at 23. There's a couple of places where you really see this come out a little bit. Job 23. Job 23, verse one. Then Job answered and said, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's talking about God. That I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. you see what he's doing here? He wants to be able to talk to God. He thinks he's being falsely accused, that there's something that's going on here. And he's like, I want to order my argument. I want to argue argue with God. Like, okay, in general, that's probably not a good rule of thumb, like to argue with God. But here's the thing about God, and this is what I love about God. He knows us, and it's okay to be honest with him about it. It's okay to, in a way, argue and get that out. In some ways, I feel like that would be much better than just painting on a happy face and pretending like everything's okay when it's really not. Like going before God and just being raw and just being honest. Now, God will correct you, And he will correct you on your thinking, and he will correct you on your words. He will. But he's good about it, and he understands. He knows our context. He knows what's going on. But that's one window where you start to see Job's starting to really struggle a little bit. Go over to chapter 31. And verse 35. oh that one would hear me behold my desire is that the almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book so again he wants to argue and he wants to go before god and he wants god to talk to him and honestly who wouldn't in this scenario who wouldn't and i'm telling you just from experience in my own life um You know, the, uh, the moments where you feel like, uh, God is far away, he's closer to you than you even realize. Like those moments where you feel like everything has just been completely ripped out and you have nowhere to go and God has abandoned you, you have no idea how close he actually is. And he's very interested in what's going on. And so it may feel like God is far away, but he's not, he's not. I mean, there are many places we can go in the scriptures on this one. I mean, many. And we'll get to at least a couple of them that I love dearly. But he's never far away. He is a God that is near, he is not afar off. And when your heart is broken, his heart is broken too. And it's just our emotions that are trying to deceive us. But Job is now in this situation. He's attacked physically, he's attacked emotionally, and now he's being attacked spiritually. And it's exactly what the devil wants. Exactly. The devil probably knew going into it, frankly. In chapter one that it wasn't going to work like he probably knew and he probably knew that the second time in chapter two it wasn't going to work but it was the consistent pressure from his three friends that over time he was going to break and then he finally did and so letter e job finally sees and understands the big picture because god finally does answer him go over to chapter 38 And this is one where, you know, we all need this from time to time, but uh, this is probably one of the clearest recorded places in the Scripture where God um, thoroughly put someone in their place, um, lovingly but hard. And so look at verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. It's a literal whirlwind. The Lord answered Job and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? When we're in these circumstances where we are attacked physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we got a lot of words that are coming out of our mouth. We have a lot of thoughts that are running through our head. And if you let those things just keep running, if your your thoughts and your words, if you let those things keep running, it's going to darken its counsel because your words don't have knowledge. You don't really know what's going on. And so your counsel that you're going to follow is going to be a a continual downward spiral into things that are going to be in rebellion against God. And the best thing you can do in any circumstance where people are struggling, where you're struggling, is that you need the truth. No matter how hard it is to hear it, you need to hear the truth. It's the only thing that's going to get you out of it. And people that don't have the truth, they have nowhere else to go. They have the, only their vain thoughts and their feelings leading them down these paths, and it's going to destroy their lives. And this is the only thing that's going to happen. Every time we let our thoughts and our words wander In our circumstances, letting our emotions fuel all this stuff, it's going to darken biblical counsel that you actually need. And you're not going to hear it. You're not going to hear it. And look what God says. Gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Okay, yeah, Job, you want me to answer you? Well, here, I'm going to ask you some questions and I want you to answer me. So he never even addresses Job directly about his arguments and his issues and complaints. You know what he does? He reveals to Job who he is. And in the process of looking at God and understanding the the majesty of God, the power of God in his nature and everything, he's like, I had no idea what was going on. I'm sorry, God, I should have never, I should have never even uttered a word against you. He was sobered up real fast. Take a look at this example in in, uh, chapter 40. Because God spends chapter thirty-eight. I mean, you can read through it, and it's a solid rebuke. Chapter thirty-eight, chapter thirty-nine, and then the response in chapter forty. Moreover, the Lord answered and said, and to Job and said, "Shall he that contend with the Almighty instruct him? Are you really going to teach me, Job? He that reproveth God, you're going to reprove me? Let him answer it." And then Job answered the Lord, and this is the first time he says, "Behold, I am vile." Like this is his natural response, God, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. God, I should have just shut my mouth. I should have just trusted you. I had no idea. And I'm sorry. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. And then look at verse six. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man, and I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. And he continues. And God lays into him again. See, there are times... Where we think we understand, and we do in part, but God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to really get this. We're going to drive this deeper because I want you to understand because I don't ever want you to question me again. I want you to be secure in my relationship with you. I want you to really get this and and no more ever think, just not even think at all, any of these things that you're thinking. And then take a look at Job 42 because God rebukes him again for the rest of chapter 40. And he rebukes him in 41 and reveals the devil, and to talk about the enemy, and reveals those things unto Job. So God deals with Job's heart in the first rebuke, in chapter 38, 39, and then Job is now understanding now the enemy in 40 and 41, and God wants him to understand this now from this angle, which I've never really quite thought about before. I love it. In Job 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered, have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, and I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, now he finally gets it, and now he finally understands what's going on. He understands himself, he understands the enemy clearly, he understands God, he knows what's going on. All the stuff that was happening had nothing to do with him. I mean, it felt like it did. He lost everything. He was attacked physically, he was attacked emotionally. And he thought it was about him. And his friends kept saying, it's about you, it's about you, it's about you. And Job finally understood this had nothing to do with me. There were things going on that I didn't even understand. I had no idea, God, that you were dealing with the devil and that you were working him on stuff. And in the process, you were working on me and you wanted to use my life as a way for you to receive honor and glory. I had no idea. So this is why God puts this in the Bible. Job is a gem. I mean, this book is a gem, especially when you're working through stuff, because doctrinally speaking, this book lines up with the tribulation period. Job is a picture of the nation of Israel while they are going through it by the Antichrist. But it's also a picture of you and I now as people that love God devotionally, that we love God and we're trying to follow him and Satan's trying to do whatever he can to thwart God from being glorified in your life. So now Job understands the big picture. All right, so let's wrap this up. Satan's goal. He wants you to question and doubt God in your relationship with him. If he can get you to question and doubt God, if he can get you to question your relationship with him, then he can totally have his way with you. And that's his goal. He wants to take the Bible out of your life, and he wants to remove your relationship with God. And he'll do it physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Absolutely. So what do we do about it? How do we actually take care of this? All right, give me some readers for these verses. Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10. Megan. Proverbs 1.7. Carson. Hebrews 11.6. Sam. Um, and Psalm 36.9. All right, Alana. And then go ahead and take uh, Tyler. Take First John four nineteen and ten, and two two. Can you take all three of those verses? Second. Four, yeah. Uh, First John four nineteen, mm hmm, and also verse ten, and then chapter two verse two, because they're all in the same book. It's on your study sheet too. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and fifteen. Who wants that one? Okay, Jamie, um, and then. Um, we'll see what we can do. Maybe John 14. We'll talk about that in a minute. Psalm 116, 1 and 2. Who wants that one? Okay. Got that one, Elliot. And then John 16, 33. Ethan. All right. Okay. So there's three things that you need to do when, when this is coming against you, when you're beginning to question and doubt God and your relationship with him, there are three things that will hold you safe and secure. First of all, you need to remember who God is. You must remember who God is. You have to. Because that's the main attack. If you do not remember who God is, then you will lose. All right, listen to this verse, Proverbs nine ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we've talked about this verse a lot. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the very start of it. If you don't fear God, which means having a reverent attitude, and even literal fear of God. If you don't fear God, you're not going to want to hear anything that he has to say. But then it says, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So you want to understand what's going on? Get to know God. Get to know him and you will understand what's going on. Get to know his nature, how he operates, how he feels, how he thinks, and you will understand clearly. This is one thing I was very appreciative of with the way I was raised and even the things that I studied personally in the scriptures. There is no way, absolutely no way, that I would have ever made it through some of the most difficult things in my life if I would have forgotten who God is. But I always knew who he was. I knew how he operates, and I knew that he cared about me and that he loved me. And so I may not understand what's going on, but I know that. And if I know that, then I can I can make it. I can make it. If I If I know his heart towards me and how he operates in my life and what he wants in my life and and, and how, how deeply he cares for me, then I can make it through anything. I don't care what it is. I don't care how difficult. I don't care how impossible. I know I can make it. And that's not a feeling. That is facts. That is objective truth that's going to keep me anchored as I work through it. Now, how am I going to work through it? I have no idea. I got no clue. I have no idea how I'm going to deal with this, how I'm going to answer this person, how I'm going to deal with the circumstance. but I know God. And if I know God, I can make it. All right, listen to it, Hebrews 11, 6. Yes. You must come to God knowing. Knowing. You got to know that. And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Proverbs 1 7.
2: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but but fools despise wisdom and
0: instruction. Okay, again, fear of the Lord, but if you're a fool, you're going to despise wisdom and instruction. You're going to not want to know anything. And those are the two options you got. You can either be wise or you can be a fool in, in this circumstance. And then listen to Psalm 36, verse 9. For with thee is the fountain of life; In thy light shall we
2: see light.
0: Okay. In God's light, you shall see light. That's the only place it's going to happen. I love that verse. That's the only way. You want clarity? Get into God's light. Get into his presence. Get into his word. Spend some time with him and you will understand. And you may not understand right away, but you'll understand eventually. For sure. For sure. So you have to remember who God is. Secondly, you have to remember what he's done. You have to remember what God has done. What he's done is a reflection of who he is. And so it further will concrete in your heart your faith in God. All right, 1 John 4, 19 and 10, and then do 2-2. Okay. We love him because
1: he first loved us. Verse 10. Herein is his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and set his son to be the perpetuation
0: He is the, the propitiation. propitiation. Thank you. You're welcome. For our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. I love these three verses. They are so near and near to my heart. We love him because he first loved us. We don't love him just because of who we are. And he showed it by sending his son to die for us. That's how he showed how he loved us. And that's the reason why I love God. I love God because of what he's done, and what he's done is a reflection of who he is. And not only did he die for me, but he died for everybody. That shows you how great God's love is. Second Corinthians five fourteen and fifteen.
1: For the love of Christ concerneth us, because we thus judge, and if one died for all, then we were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again.
0: Again, I love these verses too. The love of Christ constraineth us. It constrains us. It controls us. When you really understand the love of God in your life, it will control you. And you will do things that you normally would not do because God loves you so much. There are many things in my life that I don't like doing that I know because I love my wife, I will do it. It's just the truth. From a humanistic perspective, I love my wife and there are certain things that she wants done or she wants certain things done a certain way and so I will do whatever. Like, I've told you guys before, I hate yard work. I absolutely hate yard work. I despise it with a passion. I think it's of the devil. I really do. Which technically, I think I could build a pretty good case for it. (laughs) Because, you know, you got the curse and stuff and they were thrown out and then that's when weed started. So, anyway. (laughs) But at the same time, I know that there are certain things outdoors that she really cares about. And it doesn't matter how I feel. Like my love for my wife overrides how I feel personally about that circumstance. And so I will gladly do it. I'll gladly do it just because of that fact alone. And so it's the same thing in Christianity. There are certain things as a Christian, you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Okay, here's a very good way to overcome that. Remember what God has done for you. Remember how far he went for you, and then you will be gladly jumping in to do anything that he wants you to do. No matter how impossible, how ridiculous, how, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. You'll do anything that he wants you to do. All right, and then thirdly, rest in your relationship with the Lord. Remember who he is, remember what he's done for you personally, and then rest in your relationship with God. Psalm 116, one and two.
1: I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call
0: upon him as long as I live. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. God wants to hear you. Like, who else is like that? I mean, we get tired of each other. We don't want to hear people, right? (laughs) Some people more than others, especially Andy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But God always wants to hear you. And so you think about that. The most incredible, magnificent thing in all of creation. He wants to hear you. I, I, that is incredible to me. It's one of those things where, so God wants me to actually just be with him and to spend time with him. Like, Just think about that and chew on that for a while. That will change your perspective. And because God has inclined his ear unto me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. And so if you don't do these three things, then you're going to run the risk of falling prey to the devil's attack because he wants you to question. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to doubt your relationship with him. He wants you to question that. You've got to remember who God is. You've got to remember what he's done, and you've got to learn how to rest with him. And that's exactly what happened with Job. Job learned who God was. He remembered, and he remembered what he has done, and he learned how to rest. And Job was able to make it through. And that's exactly what he did. You've got to do that. So I don't think it's a coincidence today that we covered this. And I know we're all over the place and maybe there's some things that are going on in your life. Um, But I know this has been very timely for me too. So I hope this has been a a blessing to you guys. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. I pray that we would um, hold these things very, very dear. um, That we would uh, not let them go that we would meditate on them and let them affect the way that we behave in this world. Thank you for loving us. You have loved us more than anybody else, more than what we can even comprehend. But thank you for giving us your book that really shows us how much you love us. And and I pray that we would honor you and that we would glorify you. I pray for those that are not with us today, whatever's going on with them, that you would be with them and that you would help them with the things that they're going through, um, that they would just really remember who you are and what you've done, and that they learn to rest in their personal relationship with you. So we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.